In the earliest manuscript fragments that remain of Mark's gospel, verse 8 in chapter 16 is the ending with the story of the women in fear and amazement fleeing from the empty tomb and they are struggling to understand everything that has just happened. This is the first time in Mark's story that we're told about these women. He says that they have been following Jesus since the Galilee days and they've come with him to Jerusalem. So they have been there all along. And on Friday during the Passover feast, Jesus has been killed. We're told in verse 40 that these women were at the cross. They were watching from a distance as he died. They were witnesses of this. And then in verse 47, Mark tells us that they also watched where the Lord Jesus was laid when he was buried. A man named Joseph, a man from a place called Arimathea, he was one of the council, we assume that means the Sanhedrin, the ruling body of priests. He was looking for the kingdom of God, so this man was a covert believer. He goes to Pilate and he asks for the body of the Lord Jesus. He takes him down from the cross, he wraps him in a linen shroud and lays him in a tomb and he seals it shut with a very large stone. And so these same women who watched Jesus die, they watched Jesus be buried, they went out on the evening of the Sabbath, we assume this was on Saturday evening, they go out and they buy spices in preparation for uh, putting it on the body of the Lord Jesus the next day. They go early on Sunday morning to the tomb. And everything that they had seen over these last couple of days, everything they had been witnesses to, told them that the body of the Lord Jesus would be there. Dead men do not usually move. They were worrying. They were talking. How are we going to move this giant stone out of the way? And they arrive and they see what we're told is a young man. We know that he was an angel standing inside of the tomb and they were alarmed. Wouldn't you be? This man told them what Jesus had already told them before. They told, him about, told them about his resurrection. Just as he had told them, he says, and that they would see him soon. He is risen. He is not here. Go and tell the others. And so Mark's gospel comes to an end with three events that the Apostle Paul says are the essentials of the gospel. He told this to the church in Corinth. He says to them, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with with the scriptures. And so Mark lays out these events that Paul says are of first importance. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Mark does not interpret them for us. He does not tell us how significant they were. He simply presents them as facts to his readers. And we are left to grapple with whether or not we believe him. What do we make of this claim that a dead man was raised to life. What do you make of it?
What do you think about that? As we read a passage of Scripture to you that says these things, are they just a story? Or are they reality? Do you believe that if you had been going for a stroll early that morning and you walked by this particular tomb that you would have seen this taking place? And what difference does it really make? Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that it makes all the difference in the world to us that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a historical fact that took place in real time. Because if Jesus was not really raised from the dead, then you and I, we are still in our sins and we await the judgment of God. But because he has been raised, God offers to you this morning forgiveness. He offers to you his love. He offers to you his grace, his mercy, and his hope for a new life. That's the power of the resurrection. The promises of God for a redeemed bought by the blood of Jesus people, a renewed people who have God's power inside of them. They hinge, all of this hinges on the truth of Jesus' resurrection. So if you have come in here this morning and you do not believe that this has happened, I do not think that I can simply reason this into your minds and into your hearts, but I would like for you to humor me for a few minutes and listen. It's important that Mark documents the names of these women. Have you noticed as we've gone through this book that often he does not mention the names of the people who are involved in the various stories? Occasionally he does. Every now and then he does. He tells us about blind Bartimaeus. You know, in other places, Bartimaeus was not named for some reason or other. Here in Mark, he tells us what this man's name was. So it does happen from time to time, but more often than not, what we get is the blind man, the lame person, the woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, a man with an unclean spirit, and so in most cases, names are not that important to Mark. But look with me at the passage that we just read. Three times, did you notice when I read this? Three times in nine verses, Mark gives us the names of these same women. Why? Three times, nine verses. It has to be because it is so important to him that these events right here are established as fact. Jesus healed a lot of people over the three years of his ministry. And so there were a lot of blind men. There were a lot of people who were demon-possessed. Nobody out there seemed to deny that Jesus was a healer. Even those people who were the rulers and the priests, they knew that Jesus did miraculous things. They couldn't explain it all. They tried to explain it away, but they knew that this man was a healer. But after this, after this event takes place, after Jesus is raised from the dead, they do everything they can to deny that he was raised. 
In fact, it is so important to the Jews that people not believe in the resurrection that Matthew in his gospel tells us that the Jews paid the Roman soldiers to say that they had fallen asleep and that Jesus' disciples had come and stolen the body. They went through those lengths so that nobody would believe that Jesus was alive. Because if the resurrection is not true, Christianity in all that it is, all that it entails, comes apart. It falls apart at the seams and it dies. Jesus becomes just another dead man who should be forgotten to the pages of time. But he wasn't. Do you remember the names of the Jewish men who started the revolt a few years before Jesus? Do you remember the names of the people who started the great insurrection 40 years later that ultimately led to the destruction of the temple? Surely you do, right? Me neither. These were historical events that had their place and they had their time. When men stood up for something that they thought was right and ultimately they died for those things, but guess what? Nobody remembers them. Jesus had a ministry of three years in the nowhere of Galilee middle of nowhere, backwoods, nothing. But what began there turned the whole world upside down. And the foundation for what we call Christianity rests on the claim that a man named Jesus, we're told again, Jesus of Nazareth here in this passage, Jesus from the place of nowhere, about 300 people, that he came back to life after three days dead with a heavenly body. And Mark, he writes all of this down about 30 years after all of this happened. He's still telling us that he chooses to write it down, that this is significant still. All of this stuff that took place three decades ago has not died. Why? Why? He did not just forget about it. He did not just move on with his life like everybody else did after those other so-called messiahs came and died. Instead, he is very careful here to include all of the names of these particular women who came to the tomb early that Sunday. So he wasn't just going to call them like he does some other people here in his story. The women who followed Jesus, just the women, no, they need their names remembered. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Joses, and James the Less, and Salome, these women saw, they were witnesses. They have their names here recorded, more than likely, because they were still alive when this was written. 
More than likely, you could go and find these women and hear the story directly out of their mouths. And they would tell you everything that they saw that momentous morning. There's something else that's important about these women. If these early followers of Jesus had wanted to make this story up for whatever reason, they would have chosen to make the first witnesses in their story somebody else. Somebody a little more reputable, but not these women. We're told here at the end of chapter 15 about a man from Arimathea, a man named Joseph. We're told that he was a respectable member of the Sanhedrin. People would have believed the story a little more likely if it had come from his mouth. But Mark does not place him at the empty tomb. He put Jesus in the tomb while he was dead. But he did not see it empty. Women were not trusted as reliable witnesses in Jesus' day. Their testimonies were not admissible in court. People didn't believe them. And so if somebody was trying to make this story up, they would not have used women for this role when they were writing their story down. In fact, even 200 years later, when a Christian named Origen was arguing with an unbeliever, trying to get him to trust in Jesus Christ and to believe in the resurrection, this man says that it was the gossip of women. Meaning nobody's going to believe that junk. We know this was just their gossip that day. Why are you peddling this stuff? So why would Mark write these women's names down and have them in his story as the first witnesses of such a critical event? Because it was true. It's because these women were the first ones that were there that morning. And no other reason other than that. It's just the truth. And one more thing. Where are all the disciples at this point? They're not here. They're not here at the empty tomb. They're somewhere despondent, cast down. Everything that they've invested their lives in for the past three years has come unraveled. They have left their jobs. They've left their reputations. They've pushed all of their chips to the center for this man, Jesus. And it has been an amazing journey up to this point. But now, Jesus is dead. The fellowship they had, it all centered around him, his ministry, everything that he came to do. They were his followers. And now all of a sudden they are left trying to sort out, what am I going to do now with my life? In the meantime, it's probably best that they would lay low for a period of time because maybe the authorities are out looking for the other people who are following Jesus. Just in case that there's any remnant of this out there, we can just snuff it out. So they're not here. They're not out in the open. 
But very soon after this, those same disciples who are now hiding, they will be boldly preaching the name of Jesus to everyone. And eventually, all of those men who are right now scared and in hiding, every one of those men but one of them will die as a martyr for the gospel. And the one man who doesn't, he was banished to an island as a prisoner because he was a Christian leader. And so what happened that changed the direction of things that we're seeing right now here in Mark's story? What changed in these men's lives that they went from fearful and scared to bold? Peter has just denied Jesus. We saw a couple of weeks ago how he kept himself at a distance. And eventually he goes and he hides. What happened particularly in Peter's life that would change him from fearful to boldly preaching? We're told it was because he had seen the risen Jesus. He stands up on the day of Pentecost. I mean, this is 50 days later, okay? 50 days later, he is standing before thousands of people who have come for the feast. He is no longer afraid. He's no longer hiding. He tells them that they have crucified the Son of Glory that they needed to repent. And he says, this Jesus... God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. That was the hinge that swung everything for Peter. That now he would preach boldly. He had the love of Christ in his heart. He had been filled with the Holy Spirit. And no matter what the opposition would say or do, it no longer mattered to him anymore. He had seen his Savior live, and that's all that mattered to him now. That is what has changed for him. He believed in the resurrected Jesus Christ. And so now cowering disciples have become as bold as lions because the resurrection was true. And they now had something far more valuable than their own lives even. They had love for the resurrected Jesus and the power of his spirit. And Christianity continues to this day because real people still confess that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God who was raised from the dead after dying for sinners like me some 2,000 years ago. Don't you think that all of these years later, if something miraculous had not happened, that this movement would have died like all the rest after their leaders were killed. And here's where I want to speak to any person who has doubts. Maybe some of you have come in here this morning and you doubt the truth of this. And I would ask that you do not disbelieve Christianity 
because of what you think about Christians in our society. The way that the word Christian is commonly used is usually as a political term. If you hear that word in the public square, that's the way it normally comes about. You're hearing that word through some media commentator's lens. Christians are presented in all sorts of ways. They don't necessarily represent Jesus Christ. Some rightfully so, some falsely so. And whatever you think about Christianity should start with what this man Jesus did, what he taught, what he claimed, whether or not what he says and what he has done is true. And so did this man, who claimed to know God personally, did he come down to earth from heaven? Did he live the life that Mark writes about here? Did he do the things that no other human being could do without the power of God? Did he teach truths that nobody else has taught with a kind of authority that nobody else had? Did he make the claims that he say that he did? And did he ultimately give his life as a ransom for many and then be raised up to prove that everything that he had come and done and said was true? Would have God raised up a liar? Would have God raised up a demon-possessed man who made false claims? No. The Lord God raised up the Son of God to verify that everything that he did and everything that he said was true. And so I ask you this morning to set aside your prejudices Set aside your political positions. Set aside whatever interactions that you've had with other Christians for just a minute. Is this stuff true about Jesus? Is this stuff true? Because if it is, if what this angel said that first Lord's Day morning is true and that Jesus is risen, then Jesus is Lord of all everything he's Lord of you the kingdom of heaven is real the judgment of God is real and the way of forgiveness is open to sinners every sinner the way is open if you would look to this man Jesus Christ the resurrected and believe if all of this is true then there is a demand this morning for you to acknowledge that he is Lord and that he is worthy of your worship and he is worthy of your love. But will you believe it? And will you give it? The resurrection was a powerful event that proclaims that Jesus is God's Son. And for everyone who will confess and believe in that, there is the promise of God's power. That God's power that raised Jesus from the dead that morning will break into your heart and change you. 
The same power that Jesus demonstrated in all those healings, the power that cast out demons, the power that raised those dead people from the grave, the power that raised Jesus himself. By faith, God says he brings that power into us. An amazing claim that God's power will live in you. Theodore. He says his power is in Theodore this morning. It's back there in Ed. It's here in Barb. He promises that power to live in us. That is incredible. And if God's power will live inside of us, how could it not wreck the old man that I once was and change me into a new man? It's impossible. Absolutely impossible. And these women on that first Lord's Day morning, they would see the risen Jesus with their physical eyes. They were blessed to behold him, to be recorded as those first witnesses. Others would come and they would touch him and know that his body was real. You know the story of Thomas? Now he says, I won't believe until I put my hand in his side and my fingers into the holes in his hands. And then Jesus shows up and Thomas does that. He touches Jesus. And Jesus says to him, blessed are those, though, who have not seen and yet they have believed. And that is us this morning. We have not seen anything with physical eyes, but God has given us spiritual eyes to behold him and believe the power of the resurrection. And that is what I'm asking of each one of you this morning. Are you that blessed one that Jesus speaks of here? Will you believe it and is the resurrection true? I prayed this week that there would be somebody here this morning who is seeing these things for the first time with new eyes. Because what God gives to us here is life through death. Jesus took up his life after going through the cross. And God tells us that's the way it happens with us too. We come to the end of ourselves in belief in Jesus and he raises us up with him. Jesus calls it being born from above. New life breaks in. I'm born again to a new hope. We get new taste buds, God's taste buds. We start caring for the things that God cares about. We start living like Jesus lived, all because there's a new power inside of us, and it is resurrection power. Selfishness begins to die, and it's replaced by sacrifice. Pride begins to die, replaced by humility. Greed begins to die. Replaced by generosity. Hate begins to die. Replaced by love. Judgmentalism begins to die. Replaced by compassion. The Spirit of God does this inside of us. And all those things won't necessarily begin to happen all at once. And maybe they don't happen in equal measure or the way that you want them to. But they all begin to happen. New seeds are planted inside of you and you begin to bear the fruit of God's Spirit. And all of this has to happen in some measure or another if the life of Jesus Christ is in you. It has to. I don't care what the media thinks a Christian is. I do not care how the culture defines what a Christian is. But this is what it means to follow Jesus is to have his life 
in you, changing you, loving you, causing you to love him in a new and powerful way when you believe in the resurrection. Who does not here this morning? You don't need to raise your hands, but I cannot imagine anybody not wanting the life of the God-man inside of you. How could you not? How could you not want his life and his power inside of you? If the resurrection is not true, and all of this is a sham, walk away. Is it true, Tyrone? That's the truth. It's true. If it's not, Amen, brother. If the resurrection is not true, walk away. Go be a hedonist. Go find your pleasure elsewhere, all the way until you meet the grave. But if this is true, what we're reading right here in this book, if this is true, no greater joy will ever be offered to you than what you find written down here and called the good news. That Jesus Christ died. That he was buried. And he is now risen. Seated at the right hand of God, looking down on everyone here. And we ask him this morning for faith to believe this. And faith to change us from the inside out forever. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask you this morning to cause this life, the resurrected life of Jesus, to be in every person here this morning. To not read this story as a fable, but to see it as the truth. And that everything that we believe about Jesus to hinge on the fact that these women showed up that morning and you were not there. And nobody had stolen your body. You had not swooned in the middle of the night and pushed that rock away and walked away somewhere. You were dead. You died a sinner's death in our place. You laid down your life for the sheep us and you took it up again and that day you were not there you were alive and you promised that resurrection life to anyone who though they do not see you with physical eyes but right now can see you with renewed spiritual eyes to believe our savior lives lord god work that in hearts right here today and may you change us forever and continue to change us into the image of Jesus Christ, our Lord, until you return for your church. We look forward to that day and we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But in the meantime, we ask that you would continue to bring people to an acknowledgement that you are the Son of God and you live. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.